WDBM East Lansing. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Hey everybody, what's going on? My name is Scott, back here with you after a weekend full of sports. It was the opening weekend in college football. Sadly, MSU lost 38-31 to Cal. We'll get to that in just a second. I'll explain, tell you a little bit about who's here with us. I've got a good friend coming back to campus. He's got a vacation from his real job. He's he's graduated on in the real world. Good friend Chris, he works you work for what golf association now? I work for the American Junior Golf Association uh, down in Atlanta. All right. So you, of course, were able to watch the game the other day. Still still cheering us on? Oh, of course. I uh, follow as much as I can uh, down in there, down in SEC country. It's tough. It's tough. It and is. then, of course, coming back, we have Pavel. Hey, hello, hello. College football doesn't end tonight. Exactly. We've got UCLA taking on Tennessee out in the Rose Bowl. That game starts at 8 p.m. We might talk about that a little bit towards the end. But we've got a more pressing matter. Let's let's dissect this game that we had here. It was it was a rough one. Showed us a lot. Showed basically the faults that we have and our O-line really really needs to work on their blocking. You know, MSU is a flair for the drama and a flair for heartbreak. And it's tough being an MSU fan sometimes. But you just know that when MSU goes on the road, it's just not going to be their day. It's just not going to be their day, especially in the Pac-10 in a Cal stadium like that. It's just ridiculous. Regardless of that, I think uh, we we saw that in the first half. In the second half, we were put in some tough spots, but uh, we we didn't give up. We had multiple chances to to win in that second half, and I thought that uh, we we got all the jitters out uh, in the first 30 minutes and really came back. It did. It did seem like Hoyer settled down a lot in that second half. His numbers still, still weren't great. Commentators will, will have you believe differently. He ended up with 320 yards, pa- three, 321 yards passing, but he was only 20 of 48 on the day. So I mean, completed just over 40 percent of his passes. I, I think Brian Hoyer threw the ball. He threw the ball 48 times, 48 attempts. I didn't think he expected to throw it that much. He expected yeah. to establish the run and let Javon Ringer do a lot of the workload, but you know, unexpectedly, you know, because of blocking, because of other things, Javon didn't get going as much, and so Brian Hoyer had to air it out. And you just saw how young our receivers are. You know, yes. some of them weren't running the right, you know, the right passes, the right, the right routes, routes. Yes. and you know, they turned the right, the wrong way. There was one where Ringer turned right when he was supposed to turn left and get a pass. So, yeah. you know, some of it has to do with Brian Hoyer, but a lot of it has to do with our receivers making those routes. And a couple of times we had free plays where uh, we drew Cal off sides, but, uh, uh, and Hoyer dropped back to, to make a pass, but the receivers were not helping him out. They need to recognize that there's a free play. Uh, Hoyer's got that chance to go deep and, and take a shot, but a couple of times he just ended up throwing the ball out of bounds, so they need some help. Talking about throwing the ball out of bounds, uh, heartbreak interception before you know the end of the first half. Hoyer just lobs it up 
You know, he's trying to throw it away, but it gets intercepted. Those would be guaranteed points right there. We could have been within three or seven points going into halftime. Instead, we get no points out of that. Hoyer needs to be smart and throw it out of bounds instead of lobbing it up. Or just take the sack. Yeah, in that situation, a sack wouldn't have hurt us. We still had a timeout. Could have kicked the field goal and get it down to, what, seven points heading into halftime. So it was there were seemed like a lot of plays where something would happen and I would make a comment of we just need to get some points on the board or just need to make a stop and next play penalty penalty or they just break a big run I mean Cal Javid Bust their running back sophomore is a track star it didn't even matter how fast he was their their O line was opening some huge holes he, they he was running downhill all day long I mean he ended up. He had 24 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown, but it just seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was gaining seven yards. Just their O line would just reestablish the line of scrimmage about four yards deep, and he could just take it at us. We, we just lost so many of those mini battles within the game that ended up adding up uh, to the to, to the end where we were in a tough spot, and we ultimately got broken by that 81 yard run. Uh, there at the end. That was that was where I was talking about how we needed to make a stop. We got it close, and then their backup running back, Vereen, broke the 81-yard touchdown run. So they had two running backs on the day with over 100 yards rushing. And then their quarterback, the guy we weren't sure how he was going to do, Riley, their sophomore, they started him. He had a good day. 17 of 24 passing, 202 yards, two touchdowns. That's wins wins a game for you right there. Another heartbreaker was when Riley was rushed out of the pocket. It was in the fourth quarter. Oh, I think. yeah. He threw up a prayer. He was wrapped yeah. up on his way down. Threw up a prayer. And you know what? That play needs to be incomplete. That pass. Yeah, that was I don't know, third I don't care and what long. You do. That was third and long. You make a stop right there. You get the ball back. You're only down three. Exactly. That, that same drive, they converted another third and long just before mm-hmm. that. It was a play where he had to step up and make a stop, and we couldn't do it. And it almost seemed like that first third and long that they converted, uh, we had that in our mind on that second third and long, and we again, we couldn't step up and make, make the stop that we needed to, to get our offense back out on the field. That series, the second half, our D-line actually really stepped it up. They were getting pressure. They were stopping the run. Mm-hmm. Like That's why Best's numbers weren't as big as they were, because in that late third quarter and fourth quarter, he was being stopped at the line pretty well. Our linebackers were coming up, stopping the run. And then we're still, still we're able to get. They were still able to find an open receiver, and it was just demoralizing. Really, keeps the defense on the field, and then they ended up scoring. Yeah, to put a positive twist on this game, MSU. You know, last year they were known for to be a first half team, and they faded in the second half. Let teams come back. This game. They, you know, played an up and down first half, but the second half they made adjustments and they played a really good second half. If we can be a second half team this year, a lot of those wins or a lot, a lot of those losses by three or seven points last year will be wins. Yeah, that I mean that's huge. That's like you said, it's really hard to defend a lead. I mean that that used to be Michigan State football. We'd get a lead and have to hope that teams don't come back, like a Michigan, like a Notre Dame, like. And insert any team here. It seems like everybody's done it to us at one point or another, and that's huge. It seems like we do have now have that senior leadership. We have that attitude with Coach D'Antonio of push strong through the end, and I mean really fight for everything. And yes, we did lose thirty-eight thirty-one, but the game wasn't all bad. I mean Cal's a very tough team. They're good, obviously. We played on the West Coast. We traveled. It's probably 
when you look at all the games that they had opening day, that's one of the toughest matchups you can take. There's lots of other schools. They vote for taking a cupcake, like a Youngstown State, like any directional school you want to name. But that was a good test. Usually we open up the season 4-0, 5-0, and then kind of it gets choppy once we get into the Big Ten. Now, right up front, we know what we have to work on. We have to get better blocking. We have to get better snapping, better special teams all around. That was that was a heartbreaker there. Uh, the long snapper, uh, Shackleton, he he struggled when he started off. I'm not sure if he's a red shirt. Like this is his first year as a snapper. Yeah, that's his first year as the long snapper. He, I don't know how Bates got the one punt off. It bounced a couple times. The snap bounced a couple times mm-hmm. to him, and he was able to get it off. Second time, got a punt blocked, and it was right on the goal line, returned for a touchdown. So that's that's seven points right there. That well, who who knows what Cal's offense does if they do get the ball? But that's seven points we basically gave them, and that's I mean they won by seven points. And overall, our special teams, aside from the long snap, uh, we missed a field goal, a 39-yarder yes. that uh, at the time I think would have brought it down to seven points. And then, uh, but on the positive side, I, I was happy with our uh, kick returns. I thought Ringer stepped in and he did a lot, even though he only he carried the ball 28 times, didn't get uh, he what got 80 some yards, 81 yards, um, not a good average, but, but still plugged away. He, he, we we did what we needed to do. We got him the ball, and that was on kickoff returns. And uh, on the ground, so we're gonna we learned a lot about what he can do and what he can handle uh, this week. If you want to get at us here and give us your thoughts on the game, our number is four three two three eight nine three. You're listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on the Impact eighty nine FM. Scott here with you talking about the game on Saturday, and along with Pavel and Chris. Now, Pavel, you have something you want to get? Okay, out. one year ago, if you remember. Home game, first game of the season, it was Devin Thomas's coming out party. This he had true. a strong game. He had strong returns. He had, you know, like 150 receiving yards, over 100 at least, a couple mm-hmm. of touchdowns. Mark Dell coming out party, 202 yards. He's second in all of college football right now in receiving yards. Yes. I knew this was going to happen, that there was going to be the, the, uh, likeness made between Mark Dell and Devin Thomas. Well, Mark Dell's shorter, he's well, know, thinner, I he's mean, not as ripped and you know heavy as Devin Thomas, exactly. but Mark Dell can be a playmaker for this team. Well, and that that was the biggest question that a lot of people had. I mean, I said it a couple weeks ago that nobody knows what our receivers are going to do. There was a guy for ESPN.com, Rittenberg, the guy blogs about the Big Ten. He said that we were ranked, coming into the season, 11th in the Big Ten in passing. That's last. And mainly because we didn't we don't have a proven receiver, which is true. I mean, Dell... Dell is our, our veteran receiver. He's a sophomore. Exactly. That's And that is what is scary. I mean, he had a great game. I mean, he ended up with... What was it? He had nine catches for 202 yards and a touchdown. It's the fifth receiver in MSU history to go over 200 yards in a game. That's... uh. See, Andre Risen did it. I think Plexico Burris did it, and Charles, Charles, Charles Rogers. Rogers did it a couple times. Twice. Yep. And so that I mean, that's great company to be in because MSU does put out some great wide receivers. Those guys are the ones that you try to follow. But there's he had still had a few drops, and it's still the first game. He had a couple great games early on last year, and he really faded. At the end of the year, and that's why Devin Thomas got so much attention because there was no second threat. 
And that's that's the thing to worry about is really only I think five guys caught passes yet on Saturday. And another on another note, you know, another guy who reminds me more of Devin Thomas physically, he's tall, he's really muscular, BJ Cunningham. If you yeah. look at some of those catches he made, acrobatic catches in that game. He had two Cal receiver uh, two Cal defenders on him and he still came up with that ball when they called it offensive pass interference on him, but he still made that catch. He pulled it down, and some of those catches were incredible. If he can do that for us all year, he'll yeah. be a go-to guy too. And that's what, I mean, he he was redshirted last year. They thought they were going to take it off, but then when Thomas decided to be awesome, <laughs> basically, <laughs> they decided to keep him redshirted. And when they were training, when they were practicing for the bowl game, they gave Cunningham a lot of extra snaps in practice. They wanted to use him in that bowl game, but they didn't end up using him. Blair White got all the right. reps, but they really wanted to take that, re- the, you know, use him in that bowl game. And, you know, if he would have played, he might have made a couple extra catches and helped us out. That's true. true. And it'll be interesting coming back this week. Uh, Deion Curry didn't make the trip to Cal because of an injury. Uh, so if he if he gets healthy again, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in this mix because after this first game, obviously Cunningham and uh, Mark Dell stepped up as our obvious two threats. Uh, so if we can get Deion Curry in there as maybe a, a compliment to either of those two or yeah. even the third back out of the I think slot. he has like 25, 26 catches career-wise, which isn't huge, but that's only in basically one season. Mm-hmm. He, he hasn't been playing much. He's been red-shirted or just deep down on that bench. Now, the other thing, I I was surprised. I wasn't too surprised. I think a lot of analysts and experts were that Fred Smith didn't really play much. He only played for maybe a series, and he didn't, didn't have an impact. And, of course, he's our top recruit of this year's class. He's a four-star receiver out of Detroit. But I kind of saw that coming. He's had some weight issues. He hasn't been able to get down. He's still up around 215, 220. Which he's only, I think, six two, six one, six two, somewhere around there. So he's he's a huge receiver, just big physical receiver. But he doesn't quite have that speed right now to be able to play. And they're talking about moving him to tight end. Which, our tight ends, if you look at the game, they didn't do anything. I think Charlie Gant, he had two catches maybe, but he he wasn't running the right routes, wasn't catching the ball, wasn't blocking. And I know, Pavel, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mentioned that, you know, we have a guy moved to DN, senior, fifth-year senior, Dwayne Holmes. Uh, he's a big body. He's 285. If we don't expect on using our tight end much, we can put him as a tight end for sole block, blocking purposes. You know, we can, you know, snap the ball, throw it on a line to a receiver, and have our tight end block. You know, we love to use that play. So there's a lot of good, you know, tight end uh, blocking that Holmes can provide. And the tight end blocking is so key. You'll notice that Ringer had was forced to run the ball up the middle a lot. We were talking about it. He just couldn't get to the outside. Part of the reason is our tackles weren't able to get out and seal off their ends, Cal's ends, but they were running a 3-4 defense, so they had their outside linebackers pushed up. So our tight ends really, really need to block, get to that second level and block the linebackers. And there's one play where Ringer had probably his longest run of the day. It was called back. It was a 10-yard run. Yeah. Uh, his longest actually that was counted was a 10-yard yep. run, and that was to the outside. And every yep. time he did try to run it to the outside, he just, you know, he had to make a play on his own because yep. there are guys all around him, and he had to cut it back, you know. He just had to make a play of his own. Most, there were no yeah, most of those 81 yards were Javon Ringer making something happen. Being physical and trying to pound in some yards. Yeah, yeah, because he was, he was getting hit 
at the line of scrimmage, if not behind the line of scrimmage, almost every play. And it was just right off the bat, our O-line was not able to do much for him. He was struggling. He'd get the ball, and he'd be changing his direction already. On another note, it might be a different story against Eastern. I think they'll establish Ringer, and uh, I think he's going to get have a big, big game and make up for this one. <laughs> you also, you were also saying that he was going to run for over 200 or something. Yeah, you? I'm still I'm still waiting on it. I, I think <laughs> that was a week too early. Yes. I think Eastern might be a 200-yard game. Well, Eastern, funny enough, I didn't watch them play because I don't think they were on TV. I'm pretty sure they're not a nationally televised team. <laughs> They played a big powerhouse, Indiana State. Sarcastic there. I don't don't know that Indiana State has much of a football program. They won fifty-two to nothing, fifty-two to zero. That's bigger than Ohio State over Youngstown State. They rushed for as a team. Eastern Michigan did four hundred and thirteen yards. They also passed for another two hundred and twenty-four. They had thirty-first downs in the game and held. Indiana State to just 132 yards and seven first downs. They're rolling in here high and mighty. They've got a better record than Michigan State. <laughs> that is true. Well, I mean, granted, it's it's a laughable game. It's one of those cupcake games, like we said, like the directional schools. Not necessarily laughable. You can't ever overlook a team like this. We've lost to the Louisiana, Louisiana Techs Tech. before. But it's kind of scary when you see that a team just ran for over 400 yards and we gave up over 200 on the ground on Saturday. I mean, that was, like we said like I said just in the beginning, our run defense wasn't that great. I mean, our our defense as a whole was, it was pretty good. It was okay. Did. But but the the first game for every team is a learning game, and yes. I think we learned more about our team this year than we have in many, many years. Oh, definitely. And so I think you're going to, as a result, you're going to see more changes into the second game from the first game. Yes, so that is very true. You know, I'm going back to a lot of uh, what happened last year, and a perfect example is, you know, we started out the year, I don't remember who we played, but the second or third game, we played Pittsburgh. Like golden Flashes? We played Pitt. You know, the game the game that Pitt had before us, they smashed their opponent. Absolutely smashed. And their running back had over 200 yards. You know, yeah. their their receiver, or their quarterback threw for four touchdowns, 400 yards. And everybody's asking, you know, how are you going to stop Pitt? It's a totally different game. We ended up beating Pitt. So exactly. every game's different. And, you know, you have a tough game of Cal, but then you have a, you know... A nice confidence booster here with Eastern. Yeah, and home opener. I mean, every everyone's waiting to see. It felt weird watching the first game of the season on TV. It didn't seem like it was football season here yet. Yeah, it just didn't seem right. I'm so used to the first weekend. We're playing a game. We're in Spartan Stadium. To watch it on TV, it just didn't have that same effect. I was I was excited. I was pumped. I mean, I got I went over to where I was watching it and got there like. 7.45, 7.50, 10 minutes before the game started, and just kind of watch the game. They do it every once every five, four or five years they play on the road and start off the season. So they don't do it very often. So this is my first experience as a student here. I think yeah. each student here has one experience when they start the season on the road. Uh, how would you like to be a USC fan? Your, your team's in Virginia opening weekend. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. USC, well... We can talk about games around the country now. If you want to chime in with your opinions, our number here is 432-3893, or you can IM me. I've got it up. Let's see, what is it? I think it's Impact Sports Rap is my screen name here. 
You can get at me that way on AIM. We prefer you call 432-3893. You can talk to us here. This is the Spartan Sports Wrap on the Impact 89 FM. Now, I was actually, I called in to ESPN the radio, the Sports Nation earlier today. They posed the question of who was the most impressive team, college football, on Saturday, over the weekend. And I called in, and even though I'm a Big Ten fan through and through, and Ohio State looked really good, I said, USC, they looked the most impressive to me. Their offense was just clicking. Mark Sanchez answered all the questions that people had about him. His kneecap's fine. He threw for, I think, 330 yards, somewhere around there, 338 yards. They had seven different guys score touchdowns, one guy from Michigan, a wideout they have. And they beat. They went to Virginia, ACC school, and won 52-7. to They just dominated them, just, just plain dominated and what's amazing is USC's speed. It's, if you, we saw Javad, Javid Best from Cal, took a whole team of that fast Javid Bests on oh, USC. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, the receivers got to the outside and just exploded down the down the line right there, down the, and the line. So it was it was ridiculous. They're so fast. And Mark Sanchez, you just plug in any quarterback at USC, and oh, yeah. he's going to succeed. Mark Sanchez looks so comfortable back there. Well, that's what they were questioning if he was going to be able to play. I'm sure that their backups are just fine. Uh, you, you take their fourth-string quarterback and put him at MSU, and he'll be an All-American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, there's they have five-star guys riding the pine. We don't have a five-star guy on our team. Uh, and they have, we were talking about this, all seven guys who scored a touchdown for USC on Saturday, seven different guys, all seven were five-star high school recruits. And we we have zero. And, and the most impressive thing to me is that uh, Pete Carroll's able to bring them in year after year with the understanding that they're not going to play until oh, yeah. they, they're a junior, maybe, because they have that caliber across the line. And this is a team, they lost 10 guys to the NFL draft last year. 10 guys. And they're able to just come right back in and be ranked in the top five. And just, it, you couldn't tell. I I couldn't tell that they lost that many guys. I mean, their defense... I mean, might not know the names of them, but they're still just as impressive. You know, and Pete Carroll, he does a masterful job of, you know, running, organizing all the players. You know, he knows which players are going to be redshirted, which players he know he knows which ones are, you know, going to wait for their year next year, you know, yeah. waiting in the distance to be superstars. All they need is one or two years. I mean, you had uh, Dwayne Jarrett, the receiver. He followed in the footsteps, you know, and, he just had one amazing year, and then in the NFL, so it yeah. was ridiculous. All their quarterbacks, they play for two years, and that's it. I mean, you have it's like you were saying, you have to wait until your junior year to start because you had Carson Palmer to Matt Leiner to what's his face from last year. I can't I can't place his name right now. John David Booty. Yes, yeah. that's it, John David Booty. And I mean, now Sanchez Junior. You can get two years. You get a shot at the Heisman, shot at the national championship, and then you get drafted in the first round. That's how it works for USC quarterbacks. I, I wanted to bring that system here to Michigan State. <laughs> it'd be nice. It'd be it'd be you real just, nice. You just wait. Give Michigan State, you know, two years. Bring let Mark D'Antonio bring his own players in. And oh yeah. He he's got this program on the right track. I mean, this program, the football team will be ranked in the preseason in the next two three years. Yeah, we have right now. I'm not sure. We're definitely in the top ten. Our recruiting class for football for next season for the 2009 season we've got the i think 
six four-star recruits right now, which we were talking. Yeah, it's nice to get the five-star and everything like that. It's very impressive, and those guys are very flashy. They're big-time big time players, what you think, in high school. Not all of them make the transition to college football as well as you would like. So there needs to be some kind of ranking system after a couple of years. We were just talking about it before the show started. Yeah, you can bring in a five-star guy. But sometimes they don't pan out. They end up as mm, like a three-star by their junior year. Whereas we've got a Javon Ringer. I think he was a three-star, three-star. when he came in. From a small school, small running back. I mean, physically small. And he didn't get much credit. I'd put him as a five-star right now. He's one of the top backs in the Big Ten in the nation. You can't argue that. You've got Brian Hoyer, who's mm, four-star. Solid four. And... Greg Jones is a five star. Greg Jones definitely after five one star. year after all one. freshman all American. Yeah, everybody everybody knows his name. You say MSU, you can say it anywhere around the nation. Any coach would just say, "I want to have Greg Jones." See, I think he only made eight tackles. I say only like it's not good. He led the team, made eight tackles. I think four or five were solo tackles. He's the one. He's the speed guy who can actually chase down, like go after, make those plays in space. In the problem was with the defense, it seemed like they were on the field quite a bit and they got tired because we don't have that depth that we need right now. So Otis Wiley and Greg Jones, they were really tired late in that fourth quarter. You could tell they were getting blocked kind of easily. That was the only thing I had against them. Otis Wiley had a fantastic game. He was player of the game in the first half, easily. He had two interceptions. One he returned for a touchdown. One he returned 60 yards. He caught it on the goal line and almost took it all the way back. If he would have picked up a block from Eric Gordon, he would have been in the end zone. And I mean, he—I would put him as one of our one of our players of the game. And then I would say you have to put Mark Dell as the other one. Clearly, you know, and I've talked about it a couple of weeks ago. How you know you could get a bunch of two-star, three-star prospects. And then you develop them into five-star prospects. I've said yes. that before. Yes. And you know, Ken Manny, he's our strength and, strength and conditioning coach. You know, it's he does an amazing job of getting these guys conditioned. You know, it's my it's the first week. He'll get them in a shape. Oh, and yeah. another side, you talk about how fast USC is. We just hired a speed coach, first year speed coach, and all summer these guys. We're on a speed program. They're developing their speed. You know, they're yes. running sprints. And this guy, we'll see just how much the speed coach has done further on in the season as far as conditioning and how fast these guys get after catching the ball. Well, that's what happened. I, I talked to Fred Smith before the season started, and he said it was the most intense workout he had ever had. It was, like, I think, the first day that they used pads. So they'd been here for a little under a week. He said it was the hardest week of his life. He the conditioning was just ridiculous. You had to be mentally strong and physically strong to be able to go through what they did. And that's huge. I mean, It's going to pay off. Oh, they say it all the time. S- speed is what wins games. And it's hard to argue with that. You look at the top defenses, like Ohio State, there's fast guys all over the place. Vernon Golston last year was a D lineman. He was one of the fastest players on the field for them. It's, it's just ridiculous. And I completely agree with both of you that uh, I've never given much credence to uh, class rankings as far as recruiting these high school kids. Uh, we're only in the second year of the D'Antonio era here, and I think he's made a lot of believers, and these are just more steps oh, yeah. uh, along in the process regardless of uh, how many stars these kids are coming in with. 
And that's the thing. I mean, the rankings, like I said, it's from what they were in high school. It's what they're projected as. You never know coming in if a player's going to be able to make that transition. And you can, like like you were saying, Pavel, you can mold them into a five-star. You can, once they're here, you can get them in your system, get them to believe in your motto, and take on your mentality. And that's what D'Antonio's done a great job of. He has changed this team. I mean, when John L. was here, he was a great guy, very personable, very nice, not the best for a football coach. Mark D'Antonio, I, I love when he does interviews and does press conferences. He's right into the point. He won't tell you anything that he doesn't believe, and regardless of it's nice, mean, in between, doesn't matter. And he just he's hard-nosed, right to the facts, knows what he needs to do, and he's getting the players to do it. And they believe in that also. And that's huge. I mean... I I haven't seen a man that respect. I mean, Izzo gets that kind of respect from his players, and Antonio's right there too. I mean, he he can walk into a room and you just know him, and he you have respect for him. Oh, he is a class act. You know, I'm, I've been every single press conference since the D'Antonio era. You know, John L. Smith era. I've, this is my fourth year here, and so. Mark D'Antonio, he treasures, you know, keeping in touch with the alumni, bringing the alumni, keeping them involved. Every home game, there's, you know, a, an honorary captain yes. who talks to even the team. Even on away games. Yeah, even on away games, sure. And, you know, he brought back the walk from the hotel mm-hmm. yes. past, past the Sparty statue in their suits. You know, there's a lot of teams that get off the bus in their little sweatsuits and mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. to, you know, the locker room. But these guys are dressed in their, sh- you know, dressy suits. They flip the penny at the Sparty statue. They walk past. And then it's all they business. link arms and walk across Absolutely. the field and visualize what's going to happen. In Absolutely. That game. And I think because he's a MSU guy, John L. Smith was not an MSU guy. You know, he's from he's Idaho, so he's way far out there. You know, you, get, you bring a guy, you know, who's homegrown MSU. You bring. He knows tradition. And he's going to get this program on track. He's already done it. And more importantly, he knows what this program has been through. He was with Saban and knows uh, how the fan base, as great as we are, they can they have high, big highs and big lows. And he understands that and can uh, coach his team uh, to understand that. And on another note, um, when Michigan State traveled to Cal, they chose not to go early on Wednesday they chose to go on Friday at 9.30 a.m. to fly to Cal, and they stayed on Eastern time. They're not going to get jet-lagged or anything. They went Friday, and on Thursday night, it allowed all the coaching staff of Michigan State to go on a recruiting trip and recruit all over the state. That's yeah, huge. So it's huge. That one extra day, that one extra recruiting visit could make a difference you know, in the future as well. And that's the great thing that he's done. He, In my mind, he's done the recruiting just perfectly. His first year, yeah, this year we don't have that many big-name guys. But we're building up solid solid reserves, building up a solid base. And if you look, they're pretty much all from the state of Michigan. He's really coming home and trying to get the kids here. Because they're Michigan and Ohio, the states of Michigan and Ohio, produce some of the best football players. I mean, you've got, sure, you've got Florida, Texas, and California. They have the best just because of its football atmosphere. They can play year-round. And they're huge states. Exactly. They're going to have a lot of players. But then, arguably, Ohio's got to be in there. And Michigan, there's always good players coming out of Michigan. 
and it's, it makes a difference now that Rich Rodriguez is at Michigan because Rich Rodriguez, he recruits different types of guys. He recruits skill guys. He's going to go away from Michigan. He's going not, to not, don't get me wrong. He's going to recruit some of the best players in Michigan, but he's not going to be as focused in yes. state. So Mark Antonio capitalizes on that. He gets some of the best players and there's a couple of, you know, diamonds in the rough that you don't know about that he'll capitalize on and get him here. Exactly. But Rich Rodriguez goes out. He recruits guys from the South. He wants to go to Florida. He wants to go to Alabama. You know, he's going to take Ohio too. You know, he mm-hmm. wants to get that where he used to recruit with West Virginia too. So that's a lot, you know, a leg up from Mark Antonio in state recruiting. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and of course, coming from Cincinnati, he's, he's got already got that base in Ohio. So he's, he's tapped into that. And now, now the word is out about Michigan State. It's not, it's a well known school now for football. And that, is one of the best changes that we've had because in years past it's like okay it's a basketball school and they're good at football every once in a while kind of middle of the pack as true as that statement is it's time for a change and i think d'antonio is on the correct path for that we are talking college football here on spartan sports rap impact 89 fm i'd love to hear what you have to say listening out there you can get in touch with us. The number is 432-3893. My name is Scott. I'm here with Chris and Pavel. And let's move on. I said we were moving on before. We keep coming back to Michigan State football. It's a hot topic. Let's let's tour around the nation and see who did what. We'll come, we'll come back to the state of Michigan and talk about another game that happened in, in a little bit. But we've got, basically, let's talk about top 25 action. There weren't weren't <clears throat> many upsets, big surprises. The top ten, everybody won except for Clemson. Thompson. Clemson got just handled by Alabama. Nick Saban, and there's another coach who's coming in. Was his second year, third year at Alabama, yeah. and he has got them ranked. He's got them playing hard, and he's got them knocking off the top ten. Clemson was ranked number nine. I think uh, Alabama was ranked twenty four. Twenty four. And talking about Nick Saban, I, I heard not too long ago that Forbes named him the most powerful coach yes, in they sports. Did. They did, and uh, it's it's for obvious reasons that guy can go anywhere and get a job done. And he has his choice of where he can go. He showed he went to the NFL, came back to col- the college ranks, where he's obviously a proven winner. That's the thing I heard on a show before. They posed the question to fans of who they would want their son to go play football for if you could pick any school any coach in the nation and people were picking nick saban or the the uh host actually picked nick saban i think he does do great things but i like the security of like knowing that a coach has invested his time mm-hmm. like, with d'antonio you know that he's invested in michigan state with lloyd carr back in 10 years ago you know that he was going to stick around for a while nick saban Three years and out. I mean, just his history. He's the Larry Brown of college exactly. football. Exactly. He just moves around, whether it's going to the pros, going to LSU, going from Michigan State. Now he's at Alabama. He went to the Dolphins exactly. Yeah, exactly. for, what, two years? Yeah, two, three years, and he moves on, which he can, he'll have success. He'll bring in great players and do good things and then leave. I, he just kind of gets bored of things. He likes, likes to tour around. And same thing, Pete Carroll. He's already turned down the NFL. He's been there once, came back, doesn't want to go back. That's another reason that he's able to recruit so well. You're recruited by a coach. You want to be coached by him. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing. Nick Saban, he's a great guy, does great things for him. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he's not there three years from now. Which, I mean, granted, five years is a while for a coach to stick around. That that was probably... The ACC did not have a good showing over the weekend. They Their best win was Wake Forest over Baylor, which it, Baylor doesn't do well in football. <laughs> and the weekend was highlighted by Clemson's uh, embarrassing loss, and yes. then also East Carolina upsetting Virginia Tech. Yes, uh, that, that was... Uh, Let's talk about that game. East Carolina played well. They played Virginia Tech last year, if I'm not mistaken. They played at Virginia Tech last year and almost came out with a win. And so it it shouldn't be too big of a shock to see this. But at the same time, to see see Virginia Tech uh, lose on a block punt, it's sheer irony right there. That is, I mean, that's the only way that I could explain it was how ironic. Because Virginia Tech, for all of you out there who aren't familiar with them, they... They put so much time into their special teams. They and Frank Beamer, he's the head coach there. In his time, I think I'm pretty sure he's led the nation in block kicks and punts pretty much every year he's there. And to lose the game, East East Carolina blocked a punt with just over a minute left in the game and returned it for a touchdown to take a lead. I think they won twenty seven to twenty two. Mm-hmm. And they so with just over a minute left, blocked a punt and took it back to score. Mm-hmm which in turn gave them the win. Just the irony of that, that Frank Beamer's team would lose in that kind of situation. There's one other upset, upset if you will, um, just by the rankings. Bowling Green knocked off Pitt. Two teams that we played last year, and they were pretty good teams. I'm I'm not surprised. I was not surprised at all to see that. Bowling Green was a very impressive team last year. They gave us a scare. And the thing about Max Schools is they're different in that they keep their players for four years. Bowling Green's quarterback, not sure what year he is, but he started last year. Yeah, Tyler Sheehan. Yeah, he played very well. He had had a um, great game this weekend. So to to see a Max School get a win like that on opening weekend, not surprised at all. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean... Like you were saying, small schools, they don't have to worry about losing guys to the pros. It just, every once in a while, you'll have somebody leave early, but very rarely. And that's the thing, we might as well talk about it now. Another, I'm not going to say it's an upset, because I expected it to end this way. Utah beat Michigan in Ann Arbor. Their quarterback is, I think, a third-year starter for Utah. He, he's been running the spread for three years now, and he threw for, I think, 300 yards. And they won, what was it, 25-23? And that game, it I could feel the momentum switch back in the fourth quarter. Michigan blocked a punt, and on the next play, scored a touchdown to the back right corner of the end zone. How familiar is that? I mean, a little deja vu, maybe. A little bit. <laughs> Chad Henney to Braylon Edwards over and over again. Then on the very next series, they were able to force a fumble and recover it. And I'm not... Positive they scored there. I don't. I don't, I don't think they did. I'm not. I'm not sure. But still, the momentum you could feel it switch. The fans started to get back into the game, and somehow I think it comes down to Michigan just doesn't have that those skill players and that senior leadership to really know when to turn it on, and they know that they have to convert and have to score at that time. Even when the, the, they blocked that punt, just seeing them run off the field and hearing the crowd, the crowd got loud, but wasn't the same kind of feel as in years past. It, it, they were very nervous the entire game, even during plays like that. Um, it, it sounded like no one had confidence in that stadium, in their team. Oh, no. Well, I mean, they they had two... 
new quarterbacks. They split time. I think Sheridan started the game, mm-hmm. and Steve Three ended it. I think they kind of pretty much switched at halftime. I'm not going to lie. I fell asleep in the beginning of the second half. Woke up to see the rest of it, but it was a little bored for a while. Their quarterbacks, U of M's quarterbacks, were combined 19 of 38 for just 167 yards. And just watching the game, that opening series, I turned to my roommate, and I said, this isn't Michigan. Because I've grown up, I mean, I grew up in the state of Michigan. You turn on a game on Saturday, and it's U of M. I'm from the east side of the state. That's what you see. And for years and years of my life, I've watched them just line up with seven linemen, pound the ball inside, have a fullback in the backfield. I was just about to say that they don't have a running game because their best runner was Brandon Miner. He had uh, four rushes for 21 yards, but his longest one, his longest rush was 21 yards. So he had yeah. three other rushes for he, zero he yards. He broke one. He broke one. And, and uh, let me let me amend your statement. They don't have an offense because the, their first 17 points they accumulated a total of 68 yards. They, yeah. Utah gave them the ball on in the red zone, and that's how Michigan scored. That is true. Yeah, and this year, you know, the fact that they're playing at the big house, the fact that they're home, really doesn't give them as much of an advantage. I mean, they have have home games. Wisconsin comes there, and then the next week Illinois comes there. And those games, I'm actually going to pick, you know, the road team. Oh, yeah, Because I think Michigan just, there's no home field advantage anymore. If I'm an athletic director at any school, first game of the season, I'm trying to schedule at U of M next year. Two years in a row, they've lost their home opener, first weekend, lost at home. Granted, this year, lots of people expected it to happen. Last year was a shock to Appalachian State. But still, it's U of M's changed. And Chris and I were talking earlier, I think yesterday, we were talking talking on the phone, and we are saying, yeah, five years from now, three, three to five years from now, Michigan's going to be real good. I think I said it here before. Because it takes time. They just implemented a whole new offense. They have hardly anybody returning. I think they have... Like one guy who caught a pass in a game returning, and they don't have a quarterback who's played before. If they would have picked up Terrell Pryor, if he would have signed with them rather than Ohio State, it'd be a whole different story because the quarterback for the spread offense is so vital. People don't realize Sheridan. He was okay. He could he could kind of he he could run the play that was sent in, but what Rich Rodriguez had before was Pat White, who was dangerous. He was a threat. Because the play would be called, and you never knew what he was going to do. He could have gone and run it. He could have thrown it. With Sheridan, he'll run what's called. He, Both those quarterbacks, they don't have the confidence or the athletic ability to make those plays. So it's not really a threat. It's like, oh, here's play action. Oh, here's a sweep. It's There's not very much creativity yet. And I saw that creativity with Utah's quarterback because, like you mentioned before, three-year uh, starter. And actually, I believe it was last season he had a, a shoulder injury, so he was limited to more uh, of a passing game, D- didn't uh, have the uh, mobility like he uh, had in the past. And this year he has that experience from last season in the pocket, and now his shoulder's feeling better. So in Utah's situation, that worked out best for them this year, and it, it showed, obviously, what Michigan is missing. Yeah, and... Utah is a very good team. They're underrated just because they're a non-BCS team, which BCS teams would be out of the big conferences, Big 12, Big 10, ACC, SEC, Big East, Pac-10, basically. You win your league, you go to a BCS game. That's what that means. And they are, of course, out of the Mountain Mountain West. West. So 
the way that that works, they did it a few years ago with Urban Meyer coaching and Alex Smith at quarterback. Mm-hmm. They went undefeated, and they're saying they have a good chance of doing that again this year. Of course, they played BYU, who's another good team. I think Phil picked them last week as his kind of dark horse team. He didn't get a chance to say it, but I know that he did. <laughs> And I know that he likes them. They're floating in the top 25. There's a lot of teams like that. There's a, a lot better small schools than there used to be. There's not that gap in power because there's just so many good players now that are willing to stay at home, go to a smaller school, or just go there in general. Talk about a school not so far in Mount Pleasant. Central's got a four-year starter, Dan LeFevre. Yeah, and I've watched know, him in the last two Motor City Bowls. Three consecutive Motor City Bowls, and mm-hmm. you know I think fourth one, this year so guys stayed all four years central's a really good team yeah and And it'll be exciting this upcoming week they could go to georgia and to be on it yeah i i I believe so i could be wrong i i I think that georgia's playing i'm gonna believe you you're from georgia (laughs) i hear enough about uga football so uh, it'll be exciting to see what he can do on such a national stage i'm not saying that i expect uh central to win but to, to have him on that kind of stage will be good for Central as a program and to show the country what they can do. It's like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. He's one of only two quarterbacks to rush for 1,000 and throw for 2,000, I think, in Vince Young territory right there. So that that is very impressive, and he just looks good. Two weeks from now, interesting matchup between two kind of slipping programs, Notre Dame uh, has a visit from Michigan, Michigan yes. at Notre Dame. So it'll be interesting to see who actually wins that one. I can't. This is what just a shot in the dark. That's like what I love is you can turn on ESPN or any sports show, and they're talking right now. This last week, it's college football. I mean, of course, it has to be. That's what's going on. And there is such a love by the media for U of M and Notre Dame. It's sickening because those teams, U of M. We just went over it. They have a brand new coach, brand new offense, brand new defense even, and nobody who knows what they're doing on the field. Add those up, that doesn't equal success. And then Notre Dame, who won two games? Three. Three games last year. And Jimmy Clausen did not look good. He's supposed to be a savior. And you have Charlie Weiss, the offensive genius. They didn't score a touchdown until they played us, and it's because we turned the ball over on the three, I think. Mm -hmm. Both those teams, you can still listen. Of course, Lou Holtz, he's a former Notre Dame coach. And Kirk Herbstreit, former Ohio State quarterback. So people who love the Big Ten, love Notre Dame, they both think that they can win seven, eight games this season. Uh, Which, if you add it up, you play 12 games. You, I mean, we won seven last year. There's no way that Notre Dame. Granted, they have somewhat of a they have a different schedule. I'll put it that way. They were they're independent, so they play whoever they want. They always play us, Michigan, USC, Army, Army, Navy. and Navy, and then the other ones are kind of random. I think they always play Purdue. Not positive on that one, but I think recently at the very least. Yeah, and then Michigan, of course, going through the Big Ten schedule. Michigan already lost once to a game they were supposed to win. I quoting that supposed to. It's tough. They if they can't win their non-conference games, I don't see them winning six games in the Big Ten. It's, that's just a ludicrous statement. I mean, last year we only won two games in the Big Ten. It's a very very hard conference. Three games in the Big Ten, and the reason Big Ten schools go to bowl games is because they win all their non-conference games and win a couple in conference. 
And just just to hear all these people say, oh, I think this is the year you're going to be surprised. Michigan can win eight games. No, they can't. And that's not just because I don't like Michigan. That's coming from just analyzing it and really thinking about it. Michigan, I'll give them, towards the end of the season, they'll be competitive. Once they figure things out, they will be competitive. It'll still be a good game with them in Ohio State at the end of the year. Always is, but I don't see them going to a bowl game. I'm sorry. I, I agree with you completely. However, the the thing about the Big Ten is there's not as much parity as, say, an SEC, who's obviously the, the most has the most parity. You're not going to get an Indiana beating an Ohio State every weekend like you, you would in the SEC. So the only way I can see Michigan getting a winning record is to kind of change that formula in the Big Ten. They're not the most talented team this year, but they still are Michigan. So they could... I, I can still see them winning a game like in Ohio State or like Wisconsin, um, but that, that they are definitely the exception to the rule because I, I would not say that about any other team in the Big Ten. Right. You're going to see the the favorites win more, more often than that, especially the home favorite. Of course, and then mentioned Ohio State a few times here. We can talk about their game. They had some bad news in that game, which I I could kind of see it coming. They won. Ohio State won. I think forty. 43-0. They, Youngstown, they were playing Youngstown State, who's, a, I think, I'll say Division 1A. That's not correct. It's football the, championship series, I think, the FCS. They held them to negative 11 yards rushing. You know why the only reason that Ohio State plays Youngstown, Youngstown is because Jim Trestle mm-hmm. started out there. Oh. yeah. Jim Trestle started his career there, so they kind of like to play that game every year. So right. last year was at Youngstown, so... Well, then, on the first, first series they had, Chris Wells, Chris Beanie Wells, broke one, broke a run for 40 yards touchdown. And then I, I was flipping in between games. I was kind of watching that because I just wanted to see Ohio State play, see what they had this year. And I'm watching in the third quarter. They're down near the goal line, ready to go in for another touchdown. They hand it off to Wells, who, as soon as he got the ball, went down and coughed it up and just grabbed his right foot. And they're saying... The x-rays are negative, and you're saying they won't say what it is. He's in a boot. He didn't practice today, but it's not an ankle. It's more of a heel, maybe a turf toe, maybe something like that, Achilles. I Nobody knows. I would say, you know, give him a rest. Give him a, oh, yeah. a game off. There's you no know, reason he should guys, be playing against you've got Ohio. You've Pryor who can start and maybe yeah. establish himself. Well, then they have the yeah. other Wells. They have a senior. Mm. Uh can't think of his first name, but another Wells running back. He's a senior. He started before Beanie got on the scene. And they're playing Ohio University, who they shouldn't have a problem with. Rest them for this week. Maybe have them just condition, work on conditioning. Practice next week and get ready for USC. That's who they're playing in two weeks. I mean, there's no need. If he steps foot on the field, that would be one of the biggest mistakes Ohio State could make this season. And then, of course, there's another big injury. With these Heisman picks we made, Jeremy Macklin, a wide receiver and do everything man for Missouri. He, Missouri beat beat up on Illinois. They won the game fifty-two to forty-two. Just an offensive slugfest. And slug that score fest. doesn't say anything very much because Mizzou was crushing Illinois, oh, yeah. and Illinois kind of creeped back in it late because yeah, Macklin they was out. In the fourth. Yeah, Illinois creeped back in, but it was back and forth in the fourth there. And Macklin had, he didn't do too much. I think he had like seven catches for 
90 yards, somewhere around there. But he had a big kickoff return, 99-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, which if you're Illinois, I don't know how you could let him do that. There's, Especially uh, after Illinois just took the lead. Yeah. And there's one thing you know, like, if you any scouting you've done on Missouri, it's look out for Jeremy Macklin. He was the all-purpose yards leader in the nation last year as a freshman, I believe. But he went out. He has a sprained ligament in his left ankle, I do believe. They said it's not that bad. He X-rays were negative. He on could him play also. next week. Could play next week. Once again, they're playing Southeast Missouri State. Simo, there's <laughs> no reason. No reason he should play. Uh, give him, give him some time. Let him rest up. Yeah, his numbers will be down. He won't get as many votes for the Heisman. Blah blah blah. Who cares? You're trying to win games. That. And other than that, there wasn't too much. I mean, Pat White had a huge day, throwing for five touchdowns as West Virginia rolled over Villanova. Um, basically every team, Graham Harrell for Texas Tech threw for 536 yards. And that's, I'm not going to mention Graham Harrell very much because that's going to happen every week. Texas Tech wants him to throw the ball as much as possible. And it's just funny how people get excited about those stats. They're so inflated that it's unfair. I'm going to go back to a little quickly about Illinois. Watch out for the Illini. Juicy oh, yeah. Williams, 451 400, yards. Yes, it was ridiculous. Five TDs. It was without him even running very much. He had yeah. 10 yards rushing. And the 42 points on a good Missouri team. Yeah, their defense is supposed to be w- yeah. way improved this and, year. Yeah, Illinois can pick apart any team they want this year. Yes. They're gonna, I think that they're was gonna... always the knock on Juice Williams is that he wasn't very good throwing the ball. He wasn't too accurate and didn't. he tried to run too much. I think this game proves that he's not out for that. Illinois is going to fight it out this year for second place in the Big Ten standings with Wisconsin. I, I'm going to say it right now it's... Oh yeah. When number one is Ohio State, then I Wisconsin, Illinois, Illinois is number two. Yeah. I had them last week. Now we'll move away from the college football scene. There's a few other things we need to get to. There's some more information of MSU sports. There were other teams got busy over the weekend. We had women's volleyball. They aren't off to that great of a start of the season. They're playing the I think it's the Sooner Classic tournament down in Oklahoma. They lost their first game of the season to Cal Poly, three sets to two. And then lost to Oklahoma. That was on Friday. And then they turned around and lost to Wichita State on Saturday, 3-1. to one. Now, I'm not familiar with them, but I know that schools in the Midwest, like Nebraska and Wichita State, they're good. Nebraska was the number one team in the nation for a while last year. I watched them play back in, I think, the equivalent of the Elite Eight, I believe, in Madison. And they're scary how hard those girls hit the ball. And of course, we had women's soccer was playing. They're off to a great start. They've got a freshman who is a two-time All-American, Laura Haybor. She, in her debut, scored three goals and had an assist. This is a girl she had, I think, like 290 points in her high school career. That's goals and assists. She had 200 of those combined. Her team won four straight state championships, and they had a record of 107 wins, one loss, and one tie. That's a huge recruit. And she comes in right away. They have her taking penalty kicks, scores three goals, and named it Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week last week. We have the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week this year in Lauren Hill, who scored two goals in a win Friday against DePaul, won 3-0. I think she scored two goals in the game earlier in the week. And then yesterday, the women's soccer team beat Bowling Green 3-0. And I think I'm going, I'm going to their game, when do they play? Friday. 
getting out of work and going over to watch them have their, I think it's their home opener against Eastern, Friday at 4 o'clock. Then the men's soccer team, uh, they're, I think, 1-1 one and one on the season right now. They beat St. Francis on Friday, but lost to Vermont yesterday. And then the other team that lots of people don't realize is really good at Michigan State, our field hockey team. If you go to Ralph Young Field and you look across, there's lots of banners that say Final Four or Big Ten Champions. Our field hockey team, they beat both Delaware and Louisville over the weekend to get off to a great start. That's the sport. I don't know very much about it. I can't say that I've ever seen them live. I'm going to change that. I'm going to a game. I think they play on Sunday at noon. Or they play Wednesday. Wednesday is their home opener against Stanford at 6 o'clock. And I'll be there. I know. I'll tell you, I've been to one game. The mo- You'll be confused about the fouls. No, I, I don't think field hockey parents know what the fouls are but i went to a game a few years ago when uh we were ranked number one at some point in the season and we went to the final four so uh yeah. it's definitely a diamond in the rough here at in east lansing well it's, it's just surprising because field hockey isn't that popular i mean i high school my high school didn't have it i didn't really know much i kind of knew from being on that field and playing random sports on it before that we had the team mm-hmm. and but i've never really known i've read about them of course there's Another some news that we didn't get to last week. We were so excited about the football season started, and Pavel is our expert on what's happening with our MSU men's basketball team. We'll let him explain all this with our scouting. Well, really quickly, uh, we've got one more scholarship for 2009, and it's uh, we're really high on Jamil Wilson. He's from Wisconsin, right? A uh, really big guy, power forward. Uh, he's a Tom Izzo guy. He loves to rebound, loves to go inside the paint. Um, we're really, really wanting to sign Jameel Wilson, but uh, we're kind of turning, you know, and going on Roger Flank- Franklin. We mentioned him from right. Texas, um, but Tom Izzo is butting heads with Tom Crean from Indiana for him because Texas, with Rick Barnes, they are full of scholarships, so they can't offer Roger Franklin anything. And for those of you who don't know, there's a certain amount of scholarships that each team can give out, and the way it works out for a state, it's pretty much every year three scholarships open up, whether that's through people leaving early or people graduating. And of course, we lost Drew Neitzel, Drew Namick, and I'm not sure who the other scholarship is that opened up. There might have just been a scholarship open. So we have three scholarships to give out, and we already have Derek Nix, a center out of Detroit, who is just huge, 6'9", 275. He already committed, and Garrick Sherman, Another center, he's out of Ohio, I believe, 6'10", only 235. He'll get in here and he'll bulk up, I'm sure. Which that, Tom Izzo does a great job. He recruits what we need. A couple years ago, we needed guards. So we get Chris Allen, Kalen Lucas, Darrell Summers. Now we need big guys. We have Delvin Rowan this year, Knicks, and Sherman. Draymond Green, too, this year. Draymond Green, exactly. And it's just... And then, of course, for 2010, we already have a four-star shooting guard out of Detroit. He's already committed. So Izzo's moving to Detroit. It's great things. And in 2010, there's another guy that MSU is really looking at, a dead-eye three-point shooter. I think that's what this team's missing. We've got three-point shooters. We don't have a three-point specialist. And we're recruiting a guy from Fort Wayne, Indiana, named Russell Bird. He's 6'6", 175, shoots the ball from anywhere, Three-point specialist, like another Drew Neitzel, J.J. Reddick. He shoots the ball from anywhere. Yeah. All right. We are out of time. It's been a great hour of talking all about the college football, MSU sports. 
next week or on Saturday, football team takes on Eastern for the home opener at noon over at Spartan Stadium. There's plenty of other games coming up. Field hockey's playing, soccer, volleyball, they're all going. It's been a great hour. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week for both Chris and Pavel. Scott, you've been listening to us on The Impact 88.9. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89 FM.